Hello there. Welcome to the IWS podcast. I am your host, RJ, and this is take two on my interview with my lovely guest, Camila. Camila, how are you? <laughs> I'm good, thank you. It's been quite an adventure. Yes. This is our second time trying to do this today for those who are probably not going to see the first side, but we are here. We're here. We're going to talk about mental health. We're going to talk about family. We're going to talk about upbringing and culture, and we're all going to learn much, much more about my guest. So I want to start, of course, like I always do, by talking and learning more about you, Camila, and your upbringing and your family. So if you wouldn't mind sharing with us who are watching, how would you describe your family upbringing and who were you around in your early years? For sure. Um, thank you for having me on. And uh, to answer your question, I, I would say I had a pretty like stable family life. Um, family and upbringing. Family, family and, and upbringing. upbringing. So I would say I had a pretty stable upbringing. I lived. I lived with my both my parents, my mom, my dad, and my older brother. Um, and my grandmother and my uncle lived about fifteen minutes away. Okay. Um, so, relatively close. I have a lot of family, but we're the only ones in London. The mm. rest of them are back in Colombia and Spain. Some in the US. So everybody's spread out. Everyone's quite spread out, yeah. Um, and one thing that I can definitely say is. My parents provided like quite a loving home, mm-hmm. um, and for the most part, what I can remember was like there was always stuff that I was doing. Like it was an active childhood. Okay. And then my dad went on holiday to Colombia when I was eight, and he didn't come back. Okay. So I remember just like sitting on the floor and thinking, like, when is my dad coming back? Like, is this guy gonna turn up? Like, what's going on? Do you remember? You, and you said that happened when you're eight. Do you remember how long it took before you asked that question? Like how long maybe he had been gone before you're like, is dad coming home? So I had a phone conversation with him and he's like, I'm going to be there for your birthday. So he was meant to come a few weeks before my birthday and okay. he didn't. And he goes, I'll be there for your birthday. I said, okay. And then I, I honestly can't remember how long after, but it wasn't too long after. I was like, like, where is he? And my mm. mom sat me down and was like, I don't think he's coming back. When's your birthday? May 22nd. Okay. Yeah. So that happened. You're waiting, hoping, don't hear anything. Mom sits you down and says, he's might not going to be back here anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then how does that, how does that impact you like moving forward? Um, well, it was strange because I, I kind of like made the decision in that, in that moment, like, well, I don't need him anyway. Mm. Like, if he doesn't want to be here, well, fine. I can I can do this on my own. Yeah. Because the relationship I had with my dad was really special. Like, I was a, a proper daddy's girl. Mm-hmm. We would do everything together. Like, we were inseparable. Yeah. Um, he was my go-to guy. Like, if I had any issues at school, if I had any issues with friends, I would confide in him and, like, he would sort it out. Yeah. And so when he left, it was kind of like, shit. Like... I'm I'm basically on my own, um, yeah. and so the the dynamic at home obviously changed sure. because mum had to start working a lot more. Uh, my brother's a lot older than me. He's eight, well, he's he's eight years older than me, but it's quite a significant gap when you're eight years old. Yeah, <laughs> I would I, I would say at any age, 
uh, you put eight years, you know, that almost feels like another like generation almost. No, definitely, definitely. So he was like a, at, at a different stage in life completely. Mm. Um, and so it just meant mum was working a lot. So I, I had to live with my grandmother for a while. Mm. For about five years, I was living with her. Uh, maybe a little bit longer. And um, yeah, I just felt like I didn't really have my mum around because she was working so much. So at one yeah. point, I really, really despised her for it. Um, I would blame her. like, And I would say stuff like, oh, you're, you're choosing work over spending time with me. Mm-hmm. And she would do stuff like buy me gifts or like take me on short holidays. And I'd be like, like this doesn't make it okay. Right, right. I would literally like, as a like 10, 11 year old, I'd be like, this doesn't make it okay. Like you can't buy me this necklace and think we're friends. Like yeah, it was, it was bad. <laughs> it's interesting you say that too. Cause I think, and I won't say for everybody, but I think there's times where, just to give an example, um, some people, you know, choose to show love in that way. Like, providing gifts but I also think to your point about maybe mom recognizing that I can't physically be present as much so maybe this is something that kind of makes her feel valued in that it's not like I don't want to be around you but you know given our circumstances I have to do a lot to take care of us mm-hmm. but I hope that you know that I do love and appreciate you so here's this and then whatever she may have given you mm, I think you know, as adults, we kind of discover, especially once you like start having romantic relationships, that we all have individual love languages. Yes. Um, yes. And if you don't know what your love language is, I would highly recommend that you check it out. Very important. And if you have a partner, start inquiring as to what their love language is. Yes. But something I've also discovered is that kids also have their love languages. You know, like kids have a particular way. And as they grow, it might change. Oh, yeah. Um, as they go through different phases, they'll have particular ways of how they want to be shown love. So mine was definitely spending like quality time. It that's, was that's my number one as well. Oh, so yeah. <laughs> I, I, I definitely agree with you there. Mine's more now it's different. Now it's different. But back then it was definitely quality, oh, okay. quality time. Um and so I wasn't getting that from like my two primary carers, which were mum and dad. Yeah. Um I got that from my abuelita. Right. So it was a different dynamic because I lived at home with Nan and she has like or she had um, quite like bad paranoia. Mm. So I felt like I couldn't really like get away with stuff. Like I couldn't play outside with the other kids. I wasn't allowed, like she lived in the absolute ghetto. Like I wasn't, I was not allowed out because like, yeah, no, it was not safe. So she would keep me like locked indoors. Yeah. I I remember doing stuff like waking up at like 5.30 in the morning so that I could be at school for like 7.30. So I'd have like a whole hour to just like, read or be with my friends just to get away from the house it was crazy Mm. yeah no that's and it's interesting you talk about that like i can imagine like we kind of talked about before the generational gap when you're being raised by grandparents like you know they they come up in different ways even the way our like our parents would treat us would be different and the dynamic between like you mentioned before about how you and your mom were mom being a doctor having to be maybe on these longer shifts and gone all the time can leave a a young person to have a lot of idle time 
not saying you did, but many get into some mischievous acts or being rebellious or, you know, adventurous spirits. Oh, I definitely did. Okay. <laughs> and then at the same time, though, then, like you said, that putting that dynamic against grandma saying, yeah, I don't want you really doing any of those things. Like, that must be really, must have been challenging trying to navigate that. Like, okay, I have some freedom sometimes and sometimes I don't. How did you or did you find a way to, like, manage that successfully? I would lie a lot. Mm. I would say, like, I'm at this after school club and I would be, like, out with friends uh -oh. until as late as I possibly could get away with. And then it got to an age where I was, like, 13, 14, discovering boys. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I need to go back home because I need some freedom because I really, like, this getting home for, like, 4.30 p.m. does not work for me. Like, it's unworkable right now, mm -hmm. the life that I want to live. Yeah. So I, I told mom, like, I'm willing to work on our relationship if I can move back home. And so it worked for a bit. She was still doing, like, crazy shifts. Yeah. Um, coming home at, like, 8, 9. But it just meant I had a little bit more freedom to do as I please that's fair and I mean it, I know you had talked about this before as well and, and I came from a similar environment uh, with my dad being the main person that took care of me and my older sister but my older sister was the one that tried to be kind of the steward and make sure that I was being responsible when my dad had to do those 12 14 15 16 hour shifts so there was some accountability but also there was like a great sense of fear. So like, I never want to get caught trying to do something. So you just don't try to do anything <laughs> for a long time. So that wasn't as much of an issue because there was a, a healthy level of intimidation. Um, but to your point though, you know, when you have that level of freedom, it, it is very tempting, right? To maybe, you know, and then we're young, so we're impulsive, greater chance we're going to just maybe get into some stuff we got no business doing, but it's like, hey, nobody's telling me not to. So. I can definitely appreciate that. And I think it's it's interesting in, in trying to conceptualize why it's so important to your point in the beginning of this conversation about having both of those parents being present. Because it's easier to make sure somebody's being present. It's easier to make sure we have structure and the children are being cared for versus everybody having to be gone. And it's kind of like, hey, be responsible and do what you're supposed to do at 12, 13, 14 very very unlikely that a young person's gonna be like yes yes sir yes ma'am i'm just gonna do exactly what you told me even though nobody's watching me for eight or nine hours a day mm. do you think it was any part of that happening for you i feel like by nature i'm very adventurous and i yeah. love being out with people mm. um and I, I have like a mischievous sort of flair to my okay. way of being that's always been there i don't think that's <laughs> the case for like all kids I think some kids are like gen genuinely a lot more calmer. And, sure, you know? sure. Um, but the fact that I found a way, <clears throat> excuse me, to to create space and time for me to just get up to things that I wanted to get up with, yeah. and they weren't always bad things. Sure. Um, sometimes I just wanted to hang out with the girls, or sometimes I just wanted to hang out in the park. You know? Yeah, no, I, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's it just kind of gives a. I always talk about like these good lived examples that we have sometimes. You know, we all have different life experiences and different family dynamics and circumstances, right? Some of us have mom in the house, some of us have dad in the house, some of us have neither, and we live with a guardian or another loved one. To me, the point and the essence of what we're talking about here is the value of making sure that we have those two people, if even if they're not in the house, right? Just 
collaboratively working together to make sure that the family unit as a whole is very stable. Mm. And then, you know, again, so when we, when we remove one of those people, when one of those people are not here in your dad's case, it can be difficult on the children because, yeah, their freedom's awesome when we're young. But usually there's also greater risk of, you know, getting in trouble, doing things we're not supposed to be doing. And so I always just like to echo that point that even though I'm sure from your perspective, it was awesome to have that level of freedom. Sometimes I found like in my time, like mentoring and working with young people, they get into situations that they otherwise would not have. If dad was there, mm. if mom was there, if an older sibling was there as well to sort of help reinforce some of the rules, they probably wouldn't get you know caught up with like legal issues or drugs, mm. um, maybe having relations with a young woman or a young man um very young very young age and yeah, so sure. i just think you know sometimes it can set us up for some situations we might not really be ready for if absolutely. that makes sense yeah absolutely i mean i can I, th a lot of what you said has like resonates because um yeah like i, I reflecting back there was a lot of situations that i put myself in that mm -hmm. If I would have had like a solid foundation, yeah. or if I would have maybe like not been such an angry young adult teen, um, I could have avoided a lot of hurt and uh, damage and self-infliction to myself and to others. Really. Sure, sure. And to be fair to you, you know, this is not to you know to put all this blame on you. It's more just, especially to me from the mental health side, it's just trying to understand why maybe we made some of the choices that we made. Sometimes the environments and the conditions that we're in make it easy to not always do the right things, yeah. right? It's like when you were mentioning earlier about your grandmother, some of us come from like very hard environments, you know, like you might see, you know, like if you're living in poverty, you might see people, you know, just struggling to survive. So they're probably, they may be engaging in illegal activities to try to make do, right? Mm -hmm. And if I'm growing up in that environment, well, then that stuff becomes very normal to me. I'm not looking at it like, oh, you're a terrible person because you sold drugs or because you prostituted yourself or because you were, you know, doing anything else that some people would deem uh, illegal or unnecessary. That doesn't necessarily make you a bad person. It's just why do we do what we do? How do we get into these situations that we're in right now? That's what I think is the most important when it comes to understanding why that family dynamic is so important. I need to know why my environment shaped me into who I am, into why I see the world the way that I do. So you gotta start by the family of origin. Who, who kicked this whole thing off for me? So I think it's important like we always take that step back and really look at who raised me and who shaped me, right? So speaking on that, how would you describe, cause you've already talked a little bit about your family and your parents so far, how would you describe your relationship since you have that age gap with your older brother? Um, my relationship with my brother, for the most part, that is my best friend. Like, that is my homie for real. I can really confide in him with anything. Um, growing up, I idolized him a lot. He's my only sibling. And he's eight years older than me, so you can imagine as a, like a young child. Yeah. I just idolize. Like he's genuinely like extremely smart, good at everything he puts his mind to, and like such a people person. Yeah. That for me, it was like, oh my god, I want to be just like him. <laughs> um, and then 
he when when dad left it impacted him in a very different way sure um because he was like late teen he was 16 mm. um and so for him it was like all right i need to man up now and look after my family you know like i need to be the one that you know my sister and my mom can turn to right she can't even imagine what it's like as a 16 year old to feel that that burden almost like it's a pretty heightened level of responsibility right it's definitely and so I think our relationship changed for a while because I wanted to do stuff that he would never have just let slide. Like, so I, I felt like, I feel like I lived a very secretive life for okay. a few years. Yeah. Um, and he was like very much in the dark and I was quite, dis I became very distant from my family in general. Um, but he saved my ass in so many occasions. <laughs> so I think like when I got to an age where I was able to really reflect on life and I was at a space where I was actively healing, at, at, like just all this trauma that I had dealt with. Yeah. Um, like dad leaving being one of them. I was able to really rekindle our our friendship firstly, and then secondly, like our like brother sisterhood. Yeah. Um, and he's amazing. I love him so much. Like like I said, like he really is my best friend. No, that's beautiful. And part of the reason, thank you for sharing that. Part of the reason why I asked that is because I always think about the impact of when somebody is growing up without one of their primary parents, that we know there's going to be some level of deficit. So if, if I'm you potentially and my father's not there, but I do have this brother who is a bit older than me, doesn't mean he is my father, but clearly based on what you said sounds like he wanted to step up to the plate and create some level of accountability to you maybe trying to demonstrate a good role model or trying to be some type of male example i think that that's awesome when you have that right because i've seen what happens when you don't and then you go look for it elsewhere you start looking for it outside of the home definitely because you can't get it right it's kind of like to give a quick example uh, for those that may not know in certain situations like young men why young men may pursue being involved in like gangs not always but in many cases it's because they are coming from fatherless homes where they're searching for that like paternal love and affection and energy and there's nobody around to give it to them and then you have somebody who's like you know care i'll give you that love just stand on the corner and do this for me and they'll do it because they, they really want to fulfill that, that hole that they're experiencing, but they don't really know how to do it, right? Mm -hmm. But when you have somebody there, right? So if you had that same example, but it's like, hey, but my older brother is here. He's like, hey, man, come over here. We don't, we, we don't need that. Come here. Whatever happens between this day forward, like, you know, I'm going to have your back. I understand, you know, dad's not here, but I'm here and I can give you some of that, right? That to me is so powerful. So if we can identify people in our life that might want to assist with that or just allow them maybe to, to be that for us, we can be at least a little bit more well-adjusted than if we didn't have that and we have the deficit of that person not being there, if that makes sense. It's interesting what you're saying. I hadn't really like considered it like that. Yeah. What, what, what came to mind for me was like, this is so unfair on a 16-year-old to like take this burden on like yeah he could just be a 16 year old true you know? and it's the thing true. is like his mistakes 
were like 10 times worse because he felt like he was responsible. Right. You know? So it's like, right. he can't even be a teenager. Like he can't even experience like basically messing up in life. Like we all do. Cause he just has like this extra burden of like, I need to show up all the time. Oh yeah. Which I think like it has its pros and its cons, but it's such a catch 22. No, absolutely. And I, and one of the reasons why I, that, the reason, part of the reason why I said to you, what I said to you about your older brother. So I have an older sister. And she's four and a half years older than me. And because I grew up without my mother because she passed away when I was really young, my sister tried to do that for me. And I always have a lot of love and respect for her because, I mean, the gap was like half of as big as you and your brother. But, you know, she tried the best that she could. And I always have a lot of respect because that's exactly what you were just describing. You do, you take on this level of accountability that is really not your duty. Right. But you just feel like, you know, I'm maybe the closest thing you're going to have right now. So let me let me do what I can, you know. So it's easy for me to like relate to your bro your brother in that way to say, like, man, commend him for trying to do that for you, because that's how I feel like what my sister tried to do for me. So shout out to the older siblings out there yeah. who who step in and, and try to do that, even though it's not fair. But the point is, if we can identify people in our lives that may assist us in those ways, I think it's awesome if we can, if we allow ourselves to let them in. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, you older siblings, you guys are built different. Really, <laughs> like, I take my hats off because I, I don't know if I was ever built to be an older sibling. That's no, it's, <laughs> and, and, and it's, it's strange too, like, cause you know, sometimes I, I've, I've learned from some families that I've worked with over the years, like some people, like let's say like uh, in same scenario, like your dad walks away or is, is gone for some reason, one, one reason or another. Sometimes mom will sit the older sibling down. Listen, son, listen, sweetheart, for the daughter, I need you to step up. Like I need you to, like I, I'm telling you, I need this from you and it may not be fair, but just given the circumstances, I could really use your assistance with your younger sibling. But that doesn't always happen. Sometimes just like, I'm just kind of noticing that, that, that nobody's talking to you about these things or that you're, you seem like you're very isolated. So something just calls to me to say to try to be there for you. So that's why I thought maybe that's happening for you, but I don't know if that's to be true or not. So uh, like, was there a conversation had? Sometimes. Sometimes I've seen scenarios where sometimes I've actually been able to be a part of it and say, you know, uh, like, let's say in the same scenario, let's say there's like a slightly smaller age gap. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's like three or four years. I've seen it where they will talk to the they will talk to the older sibling and say, hey, listen, I know that you have a lot going on. I know you're trying to also process whatever, you know, whatever we're dealing with as a family. It would be great if you felt so impassioned to take a little extra responsibility and try to look out for your younger brother, younger sister. It's easier, I've noticed, if it's like an older sister with a younger with a young girl or an older brother with a young boy, it is a little trickier when it's opposite gender. But I have seen that. I do think that it is helpful, but it's even more difficult when there is no conversation. Right. Right. You're just kind of observing things. You're just like, man, my sister looks sad all the time. She's she's staring off at the at the door all the time. And then, like what you were saying earlier, when's Daddy coming back? Because he told me he was going to come for my birthday. Mm. 
I have to imagine, obviously I don't know, I'm not the older sibling, but I have to imagine like they're observing some part of that experience. And maybe they're thinking like, okay, so what could I do? Like, how could I try to be of some assistance or how could I try to even help in the situation? So it, it's very difficult to navigate. Like anytime you are missing a parent, these are just some of the complexities we're outlining right now, but there's so many more. Right. So I just think it's important to point that stuff out. But speaking on that aspect, do you think from that experience, what you were going through, did any of that ever propel you from that age up until now to ever go get some professional help to actually discuss it in more detail? Um, I, w- I was like lucky enough to have people around me that were like, you need, you need to seek help. Like, I was, I never had that self-realization where I said to myself, the situation is bad. Like, what I'm going through is not normal. What I feel is not normal, and I should probably seek help. I was just blessed enough to have people around me that continuously asked me to get help. Mm. And when I decided to... So I had, like, a school counsellor throughout my school years. Sure, sure. That was really helpful. Good. But it was kind of like... I didn't really see it as me seeking help. It was kind of like, oh, this is, like an opportunity to get out of class. Right. Um, I get to just like talk about whatever I want to talk about. And you know, this is cool. Um, And then I got to a point where my mom literally would like had a breakdown. I was like, you really need to get help. Like it's not fair on the people around you. Yeah. Because I was like really rebellious and it was like getting to a point where it was like harmful to people. Yeah. Um, and I tried CBT, and at that point, I wasn't ready mm. to really touch on topics. Like, I didn't feel like there was anything wrong with me. Yeah, like, like, I literally, I felt fine. I felt like, this is life. This is how I am. This is how I choose to be. Yeah. Um, I am the way I am because of my past. And I felt okay with that. And so I did maybe like four or five sessions, stopped it. Mm. Um, and then a few years, oh, I say a few years, like two, two, three years later, my cousin ended up doing this like development program. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a three, three and a half day conversation really. <laughs> and, um, she really stood for me to come to one of the free sessions and try it out. And I was like, what the hell is this? Like happy hippie American stuff. Like I'm good. Like I, I really don't like this is weird like this <laughs> seems like some cult stuff like I'm alright <laughs> and then um, one day I was super bored after uni and I decided right, let's go to one of these taster sessions like fine went there immediately like we started talking about areas of life that weren't working one of them was like I don't have the relationship with my dad that I would genuinely love to have sure, you know sure um and they got straight into it, man. Like, it was crazy. Like, it was, like, the craziest hour of my life. And my cousin really stood for me. So she was dead broke at the time. Mm. Um, like, she had just moved back to the UK from Spain. She was living at my, my grand house. Dead broke in debt. And she looked at me and she was like, Cammy, you really need help. I yeah. really, like, I love you so much. And I'm, I will pay. Like, if you want to pay me back, you pay me back. But I will pay for this. I was like, whoa, like you must, 
you must really think this is going to be beneficial for me. Mm-hmm. And I still like fought against it. I was like, okay, maybe I'll do it. But like in a few months, you know, I was a student. <laughs> I was working part time and it was like expensive. Yeah. Um, well, what I felt was expensive. You can't put a price on these things, man. On like therapy Gross. sessions, um, yeah. counseling, personal development program. You cannot put a price on it. It's like, it's just, it's just like giving magic to yourself, really. Um, but yeah, I ended up doing it the weekend of my birthday. So I was turning 20. Mm. And my life has just completely changed ever since. But that's beautiful, though. I mean, how we kind of get to those conclusions of bettering ourselves, like you said, self-improvement. One of the things you were saying to me that was starting to stick out to me when you were talking about initially seeking out help, because I deal with this a lot, is readiness. I have to deal with readiness a lot when it comes to when people reach out, because sometimes I get people that they're not really ready to start the process. It's like, like you gave me your example. It's a relative saying, hey, I see something's wrong. I see you need help. I see this could benefit you. But the, the person that actually needs it doesn't necessarily see that. So then they're struggling to even be present. They're struggling to focus. They're struggling to put in like the effort necessary to really get something from it. Mm. So I get where you're coming from. And I always tell those people, like, it's okay. You shouldn't be ashamed. It's just maybe you're not ready. And I, I heard you say that a moment ago, which is the other thing that's stuck into my head. I think you, we have to be ready when we're going to engage in self-improvement, especially if you're going to do therapy, if you want to get anything significant out of it. When you had been going through your personal development and you had started to get to a more stable place working on yourself, did you ever find a, a time or a point to go back and try therapy again to see if it would be more helpful to you um, following that first attempt? Yes. Um, recently, actually, maybe like six months ago, maybe even less, I decided to... There was there was this one particular area in life that wasn't mm. working for me, which is romantic relationships. Mm, and I okay. was like, what, what is it? Like, what, what's going on here? This is interesting. Um, and I thought, you know what? Let me seek some professional help. Sure, sure. And it was talking therapy. And... Um, the more I talked about it, the more I realized I actually know what I need to do. Like I, like I'm just, I was just not really willing to be with it, mm. be with some of the facts or some of the things that I knew about myself. Right. Um, but really when I did the personal development course and because I've been doing it for like the last five, six years, I feel like they gave me such great tools yeah. that I can use anywhere anytime with anyone um in a way that's really effective you know so for me it's i could say that it's closer to cognitive behavioral therapy like when you have a specific area of life that you want to work on you kind of like create certain uh you kind of create a space where you can work on that right Uh, so it's kind of like having homework oh yeah certain things very much believe in uh therapy homework yeah absolutely like you can't just like read about it like there's no way you're going to read some books or watch some podcasts or like listen to some motivational speaker and think yeah like my life is going to be amazing now like you literally need to put in the work and it's really confronting it's hard like it takes a lot of courage it takes a lot of holding yourself accountable which Mm -hmm. is not easy like i need to have accountability partners 
I really do. I'm glad you said it that way too. At one point, I was so bad. Like this is going a bit like off tangent, but at one point, I was like really bad with going to the gym. Like I hated it. I had zero relationship with the gym, <laughs> and so I had an accountability partner. I was like every day. I would either send a picture of my 10,000 steps minimum or I would send a picture of me at the gym, like doing something until I built that habit. Yeah. And now I freaking love going to the gym, yeah. but but it, it took a while. Uh, no, no, <laughs> ab- absolutely. I, I, and I will echo that sentiment when it comes to an accountability partner, because I think of that a lot, actually, in my experience working with clients that you're asking them to add these new behaviors or tools that they can use in their day-to-day life but they're new so like anything that we do that's new it's hard to make it stick because you you're trying to add something into your life so it's helpful when you at least have one other person which your therapist could totally be to help you to be accountable not from a judgmental standpoint that oh you didn't do it so like you know you are disappointing me or you're frustrating me no it's more that this is something that we have determined and figured out that this can benefit you. Sometimes when we have somebody else invested in our journey, it helps increase that accountability at times mm. when maybe like we don't want to do it for ourselves. Absolutely. But it's like, well, Camila knows that I'm working on this. I don't really care about skipping today. Like I'm talking about the gym, but I don't want to disappoint Camila today. So I'm going to make sure that I just go ahead and do it. Mm. That might help me like when I'm in my early stages trying to, establishes as part of my routine if, if you follow what i mean yeah yeah absolutely like it's we were t- we, we touched on this earlier like the power of community so mm-hmm. when i started doing this like personal development program conversation whatever you want to call it yeah. um, i found it a lot easier because at the time um i had i had like just broken up with a boyfriend mm. i was like seriously uh like depressed I had severe anxiety I used to find it super awkward to look people in the eye mm. like I remember um I was telling you earlier I was at a house party bless my friends they really wanted me to have that uni experience um and I was like okay I'll go but I was so awkward like I would literally like be standing and someone would be like talking to me and I just could I didn't have it in me to speak back just I lived my life like a complete well for about three four years yeah I lived my life like as a complete shell of a person like completely Mm. different to how I was when I was younger so when I you can kind of think of it as like a group session yeah the fact that I got to just sit at the back silently was perfect for me because Mm. I didn't want to open up like I couldn't bear the thought of sharing such vulnerable things to someone you know and I had like these constant thoughts of they're gonna judge me like there's no way that they're not gonna judge me like like I've done some bad shit or like some bad shit has happened to me and and how can people not judge but the thing is the beauty of like the group sessions is some people are so ready to just deal with their shit they're tired of sitting in their poo Mm -hmm. like they want to just clean themselves so they're like listen I want to share right now like <laughs> and the and the person leading like the forum would be like asking questions kind of like what what you what you do in CBT ask right. questions right. you inquire and then people slowly start to like discover things for themselves mm-hmm. and just by listening I started to like pop like oh my goodness like I can see that for myself too like we're not actually that different mm-hmm. so I think 
and the more I stuck to doing these courses the more I found my my confidence the more I wanted to share and I saw the power of sharing oh yes it's so like sharing with people who listen who have the skill of listening because listening is a serious skill oh yes um requires a lot of patience yeah a lot and a lot of focus you know to like be an active listener to be i i consider it i i talk so much and i'm sure people probably get tired of me saying it but it's really important i talk so much about just the level of intentionality when you do something Mm. right like you were just saying sharing right that's why we're here like that's literally why we're recording this while we're talking about it while we're being very open like i i say that all the time because i know that when i was young like i needed to see this Mm. i needed this is also for me and anybody that was like me that didn't get to come from that environment and feel like they were encouraged to be open and vulnerable with those around them so sharing is absolutely important Mm -hmm. that's precisely why we're here talking about it and also because the other part you just mentioned that's how we recognize so much of the similarities that we have we would never know that if we never said anything about it to each other Mm -hmm. we just look around we walk we talk to each other we judge everybody Oh, I bet you she's this way. I bet you he's this way. But we never take the time to sit there and actually ask the person who they are, what they're about, what they went through, how they got to this point. Mm. And you might find, wow, there might be way more in common than you actually thought. But we never are willing in those cases to take the opportunity to just ask and be curious. But you, do you know what? why I feel that people don't do that? Why? It's because when we're so deep in our own mess, mm-hmm. we live in our own bubble. Like we don't even have space for other people sure. and to inquire into other people's life because we're like knee deep, knee deep in our own stuff. Mm-hmm. And so that's why it's so important to really, for ourselves, get clear from the past, like really be able to acknowledge whatever needs to be acknowledged, Absolutely. deal with whatever needs to be dealt with and start to create a future from nothing like just an empty space like Mm -hmm. a new beginning yeah and start creating the life that you really want yes no i I cannot agree more and i think it's like um we talk about that like i remember when we study psychology like basic psychology about the hierarchy of needs and it's hard to care about you know kind of macro level big picture type issues it's hard to care about them when you're housing insecure when you're food insecure when you're worried about whether you're going to have power in your home is this Maslow's theory yeah it's hard to care about more than that when you're not even getting those needs met and satisfied right so i don't get upset or frustrated with people when i understand that their living situation and circumstances in many cases sort of prohibit them from kind of getting to that point right But then there's also a fair amount of us that choose to not deal with our things. Mm. That to me is more detrimental because we're we're actually making a choice in that scenario to say, I'm going to avoid this. I don't want to deal with this. I don't need to address this right now. But there's so many inherent costs to not dealing with it. But sometimes we don't like make those connections because we're not giving ourselves the time to sit with it, to experience it, to reflect upon it. And that's what I mean when I'm saying there is a difference between some people are just aren't in the right circumstances to maybe prioritize their mental health or their emotional health. Because physical health is all out of whack. 
Mm. Right. But what about for those of us that have those things more or less in order, but we still choose to ignore those other things that could probably enhance our quality of life? You know, it's so interesting you brought up Maslow's theory because mm-hmm. I recently was listening to a podcast. Okay. Um, and they touched on the idea of like Maslow had it like completely the other way around. Mm. So let me know your thoughts because I sure. found it really interesting. Sure. So he, so his, it's a triangle, right? And right. your very first like base is, um, is it food and shelter? Yeah. Like yeah, food and shelter. And then he said, he said I've. I don't really meet people um, being depressed and killing themselves over being without food and shelter. Like, like, right. like they may be depressed, but they don't kill themselves. But I meet, I, but I meet people who who talk about killing themselves because uh, they don't have relationships, like connections sure. with people. Sure. So where do we where do where do we find that? Um, wouldn't wouldn't it make more sense? To have relationships with people, like connections, like real connections, mm-hmm. like the ones that we're talking about, where we're genuinely sharing ourselves, supporting each other, uplifting yeah. and empowering each other as like a basis. Yeah, I think it, I think it would be. I mean, to me, it certainly is a baseline that I would want to establish for all of us. What I would say at the same time, though, is that, again, I'm a big environmental guy. Like my, my idea of thinking is it's environment over biology in terms of people aren't most people are not inherently one way because they were born that way. Right. Most people are shaped into who they are from very starting when we're really young. That's that's my way of seeing things. I say that because if I'm looking at a person and saying they genuinely need social connection. Absolutely agree. All humans need social connection. Now, some of us value having multiple connections with many people or being in large gatherings more than others. But in general, people are not meant to be isolated. Right. Right. But if I put more nuance and context to that circumstance, if I say, Hey, people don't harm themselves. People don't threaten to take their lives unless they're missing social connection. I think that's looking at it from one unique perspective because what I would say is if I was in a situation where I was housing insecure or food insecure, I'm probably not worried about my social connection at that time because like to, to I can kind of give the same, uh, the, the counterpoint, I wouldn't be worried about it as much because I'm living on the street. Mm. Like even if I wanted social connection right now, I might not be able to get it because I don't know how it is in the UK, but I will speak for in America. We tend to not treat housing insecure people that great so i don't think that most people who are on the street their primary concern is i need more people to care about me i'm sure that it would be better if people did but i think their step one would be like i need to get a home so i can get food so i can have some stability like a baseline what we're talking about and then it would be easier for me to have some confidence to actually converse with another person and try to build a relationship. Mm-hmm. If you get what I mean, like I would be looking at the other conditions around that as well. Not just, do you need this? Yes, I agree. You need that. We all do. Social connection is vitally important, but at the same time in that, in that, this specific scenario, if I'm missing those fundamental pieces, it's going to be hard for me to care that I don't have that. 
Because all I can see is I'm hungry. I have no roof and it's raining. Mm. You know, I don't have any power. Uh, not having any friends or maybe not having the greatest family connections is more of a function of me not having that stability. It's not that because I don't have that instability or because I don't have that stability, it's going to make me more likely to not want to be here anymore. If, if you get what I'm saying. I hear what you're saying. So you're, you're set, you're, t- to reiterate, sure. in essence, people, in order to feel confident, they would need to have like a security of a home and food yeah. in order to start building relationships. Yeah, right? es- especially, and, and we're just talking about general relationships, right? If I was going to take it a step further, right, which we're, you've kind of alluded to earlier, if I was going to try to talk about romantic relationships, particularly if I talked about from a male standpoint, there are certain things that we learn about dating and trying to court women, right? Most men know this. If you don't know this, I will bring it to your attention right now. Most men know that you cannot even attempt to approach a woman if you don't have certain stability points in your life, meaning if I don't have a home, if I don't have transportation, if I don't have um, a stable enough job, stable employment, most women are not going to take you seriously. Mm. So I know that I kind of have to get those things together first if I want to create that type of relationship. Now, family, obviously, you don't necessarily need those conditions because they're your family. Friends, it kind of depends on who you choose to try to be friends with. Some people, it might be vitally important. Some might want to still support you even though you're having a hard time. Mm-hmm. But from the romantic standpoint, we, we can say with a certain amount of confidence, it's not going to go well if you don't have those basic needs met because it's going to be hard for a woman to probably want to take you seriously mm-hmm. as, a, as a potential life partner. It's so interesting you say that because from the previous point that you made mm-hmm. and this point, one thing that I can see um, with both of them is that there's a focus on what you have and what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing that I really like seeing um, and one thing that I take, I, I practice is like the being. Sure. So like, yeah, we all have certain set of circumstances or whatever mm-hmm. and we are all doing a few things in order to accomplish combat or stop whatever it is that we want or do not want right but then do we do we ever focus on the being like you mentioned earlier in order to be confident i need to have this and i need to do that mm-hmm. do you though and in order to be in a happy loving relationship i need to have this and i need to do that but do you though i think what i would say is i think there's certain things that are even though we might not want to admit it there's certain things that are conditional if and this could be my experience but this is my this is both i'm speaking both of my personal and my professional experience so let me use an example of like marriage mm-hmm. it's very commonplace in married couples and relationships if they're experiencing distress marital distress meaning there's a risk that they may split, separate, or divorce. Mm-hmm. If there's great financial distress, somebody, maybe the husband's having a hard time with his job or there's a risk of him being terminated, that can put a high level of stress on the family unit as a whole and then the primary relationship, the husband and the wife or the okay. boyfriend and the girlfriend, right? That comes down to stability. 
Right. If I don't have that stability, it's hard to have that foundation to then build upon, to have that real significant relationship. So then she may ponder if she wants to stick around because she might be thinking, I'm not saying every woman would, but she might be thinking, I don't know if I want to stay connected to this person if they can't find a way to get out of this or to, to, to remedy the situation. So, so doesn't that go back to who you're being? So like, for example, you, you mentioned financial stability. Mm-hmm. So say you're in a relationship, uh, you're, you're married to someone yep. and you're significant. Okay, let's, t- I'll, I'll use myself as an example. Sure. If I was to be married and my partner has, like, let's say, lost his job and there's no financial security anymore. Mm-hmm. What would be going through my mind is, yeah, of course, okay, we don't have financial security. Mm-hmm. Um, and what is he doing about that? Okay, fine. But then my question really is, who is he being in this situation? Mm-hmm. Like, is his being, his way of being, going to take us out of this or is it going to keep us in this because that's my concern okay. like are you someone that's going to get back on the horse even though you've just fallen off sure or are sure. you going to sit in your shit and like just wallow in self-pity for a, for a moment which yeah. which happens and that's okay yeah but you also have to recognize who you're being in that moment it's not about personally it's not about what you have or what you're doing because your being is what creates what you're doing mm-hmm. and then in essence what you have no and, and i would concur with that i think that it, to get the things that we want or to get ourselves in the relationships that we like to be the type of parents that we want to be the partners that we want to be you have to be putting in the effort you have to be putting in the intentional effort to grow into who you want to become and then the things that you desire tend to come with that right over time not immediately. Well, the only reason why I use that as an example is because when it comes to relationships and dating, there are certain things that I've experienced that I've seen that I've, I've had these conversations with folks about. And it's kind of like uh, almost like a checklist, right, of criteria. Like everybody's got preferences, right? Like it's not, this isn't crazy to imagine. Everybody even if you don't want to admit it, everybody has certain things that they're hoping to find in a partner. And when I say partner, not even just uh, for a boyfriend, girlfriend, or just dating, if they're more serious and thinking about, I want to build a family and have kids with this person, that list might be a little more extensive, right? Because there might be certain traits that I'm looking for in terms of their general attitude and their disposition and their behavior that might lend them to be a good mother or a good father. So I'm thinking about how I'm going to balance all of that in my mind. But when there's certain things that provide the level of stability that is necessary to build a good family, and that becomes under threat, then it can be difficult to still focus on the fact that this is a good person or that this person has done so much for our family up until this point because we're getting into the point of such stress not just financial because there's other things that come with that but we're getting under so much stress at this point that it's going to be very difficult i might start actually questioning do i want to be there it's not that not that i want that to be the case right i would want us to find ways to overcome but i know sometimes terrible things happen and it's unfortunate 
but I do agree with your point that if I am if I'm doing the best that I can do to try to overcome the situation, I would hope, I would only hope that anybody's partner would say, I see that in you. I'm not going to abandon you. Right? How can we overcome this? But it's not always approached like that. Sometimes it's looked at as, what are you going to do? Because if you don't fix this, I don't know if our family's going to make it. See, this is, I, I say this is, this is crazy, but this is like reality, right? Mm-hmm. And th- it's why it's so important to do stuff like therapy so that you can have the tools to, yes. to healthily get out of situations like this. Agreed. Because I personally feel like, let's say, t- take yourself as an example, because I know I can uh, like answer this for myself sure. very clearly. If tomorrow you lost absolutely everything, knowing yourself, mm-hmm. do you think you'll be in that situation for a very long time? No, because I think I, w- I will do anything that I can do to help me not only get out of the situation, but find an alternative way to thrive. Absolutely. But I, I might be down for a period of time, depending on how I lost it all. But. Right. But because that's your way of being, right? Like, sure. Like, I don't know how you would describe yourself, but. Resilient, I would go. say. Okay. I would definitely. A- anything else? Resilient and. Uh, I would also, because of the circumstances of what we're talking about, I would say patient because mm. if I'm not being patient, then I might not be, resi- it'd be harder for me to be resilient to overcome this issue. Cause I'm like, I need to fix this yesterday mm. because it's not fixed by tomorrow. I quit. Mm. I give up. I'm not going to deal with it. I have to be patient enough with myself to recognize this might not be resolved by tomorrow but I can try to come up with a tentative enough plan mm. to actually get myself out of this circumstance. If you get what I mean. Yeah, no, absolutely. Can I suggest another thing? Sure. I, like, for me, what comes up is, like, integrity. Like, integral with yourself and integrity with the people around you. Because yeah. you hold yourself to a level of accountability to get yourself out of this situation. Sure. So when it comes to, yeah, cool, like, my partner might be completely down right now. But his way of being needs to, for me, needs to be, which is a character characteristics that I look for in a partner. Mm-hmm. You have to, for me, it's, of course, I have certain criteria. Like, naturally, we all have a criteria. Yes, ma'am. Um, that we look for in a partner. Absolutely. Like, I would never deny something like that. But even when it comes to financial stability, like, right. I would want my partner to be earning a certain amount. Um, if if not equal to mine, thereabouts, mm-hmm. um, so that we can create a life that we want. Um, right. Not just for ourselves, but for our future family, right? Sure. So if I know that this is the sort of partner that I'm choosing, that has these ways of being, um, that, holds itself, that holds themselves accountable, mm-hmm. has integrity, um, you know, other characteristics as well, then it's easier to be in situations like that because you know like he'll he'll like he'll come out of this like he'll sure. come out of this winning of course sure. how can he not no I, and i and i would i would agree with that that point i think that it, you know it's not that we we want to make it seem like as soon as a man lo- may in this scenario lose his ability to provide in this maybe unique way i.e he lost his job that you know she's immediately going to leave Mm. so I don't want to make that seem like that's the point because I believe and I would only hope that we would want to you know as you would as many people would say maybe not everybody but many people would say you're there for the good times and the bad times right in Mm. your vows but I would hope that the point would be is that hey 
I am with the type of person, as you said, who is going to try to overcome this challenge. If I'm the other person, how can I support them while they're trying to, to deal with this? But what I know, or I feel very strongly about, is that that person cannot, if this is a man we're referring to, they cannot stay in that position for an extended period of time because it's, it's gonna really create a lot of doubt in that, in that woman whether or not she wants to stay with him even if he was a beacon of overcoming challenge and being resilient in his past if she has to see him struggle for an extended period of time she might seriously start getting the questions in her mind mm. do i want to continue and see this man for what he is at this moment even though in the past this wasn't who he was then it's so that i think in situations like that mm -hmm. you seek counsel I would hope. Yeah. I would hope. Like, yeah, I would absolutely seek counsel because it's not something that you take like, especially if you're married. Yeah. Or, <laughs> and I didn't even add the other caveat in, if you have children. Especially if you have children. That oh makes it even more difficult, right? Because you don't want to have to, I don't even want to say have, let me scratch that. You don't want to think that that's the best option. Hmm. Is that, um... You know, this person isn't figuring it out anymore. So maybe we are better off not being with him in my scenario. Because as we talked about in the beginning, there's serious risk to that when we remove one of those people out of the household. So all this is predicated on if there's a situation where in many cases, if the man is the main provider, we're not going to say the woman doesn't provide at all, the wife may not provide at all but let's say the man is the primary provider. Mm -hmm. If he loses his ability to provide the way that he normally would, that if he is unable to secure new employment or seriously remedy the situation after an extended period of time, there might be significant doubt in his partner's mind where she may seriously question if she wants to be there, even if there's kids there, even if there's children there. Mm -hmm. And so to your point i agree i would only hope we would seek additional counsel i would hope that it not necessarily it has to be me but somebody like me to give perspective absolutely yes this man is down yes she may be down maybe she's the primary brother maybe that that situation it is a difficult spot but you guys did sign up for the good and the bad right so how can we better support each other to keep their family intact because that's the, that's the best thing that we can do in this time to ride this wave, to ride it through. Because mm. it doesn't have to, to your point, what I feel like I'm understanding from you, you don't have to stay down. You might need some more support so that you can get up back on the horse, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the beauty of personal development, um, seeking out therapy and guidance for yourself, is that you're so clear about who you are as a person. So imagine if there's two people like that. You're so clear about who you are as people. And then when you decide to be in a relationship, to be married, and then on top of that to have children, the foundation that you have is continuous development. Yeah. It's like it's like a business. Like in order to have a thriving business, you need to have a team around you that's gonna continuously develop the business. You Agreed. need to have ideas flowing through and you need outside outside perspectives. Um and you need to have the tools to really combat life because life is a roller coaster. Eh? It's not easy out here. Oh man. Truer words never spoken. It's it's so important. 
and I mean, and I'm not trying to always make this seem like it's like a plug constantly for therapy, but it's more to the point of what you're saying. It's good to get perspective sometimes because I try to talk a lot about the implicit bias that we all have and how it's so strong. It's so strong that when we see situations, when we see environments, everything seems like it must be the way that it appears. Right. That that's how strong our biases are. <laughs> like when if I'm looking out this window and I see somebody walking and they're dressed a certain kind of way, in my mind, I've already drawn all the conclusions I need to draw mm. within five to ten seconds. Oh, she must be. He's gotta be. Right? But I don't know them. I didn't even take the time to talk to them. All I'm doing is making snap judgments based on the first impression that I have. Mm -hmm. I say that because it's important to look to learn, right? This is very difficult, even for me. It's very difficult to practice often, to learn to look outside of oneself. This is how it appears to me, but I could be wrong. What if, it, what if it's this, right? That might help me alleviate or release some of that frustration, some of that anger, some mm. of that hostility. Absolutely. Like immediately, right? Because I'm like, oh, well, I was about to react this way because that's what I thought you meant. That's what I thought you were trying to say. Then I realized, because I asked you a question or I considered an alternative viewpoint, maybe it was me. Maybe I'm tripping right now. Yeah. Right? I would challenge all of us to do that. I challenge myself to do that often. And it is difficult. I don't ever want to make it sound like it's a simple, but I believe it's really necessary. It's so crazy because one of the main reasons why my dating life was so poor is because I would always jump to conclusions and assumptions. Mm. And I was, I never came from a place of like inquiry. Like, like you said, the judgment was already there. I used to have this coach and she put it perfectly. She goes, as human beings, we walk this earth with color filtered lenses. Everyone has different colored lenses. Mm -hmm. And what makes those lens colored? Our past, our, our, which includes our education, our yeah. family, past relationships, <laughs> you know, all these things that accumulate our past. That's what we're seeing life with. Yeah. And so no wonder everyone sees things so differently. And why we have, we have these um, perceptions of how life is when the reality is this is gonna sound like a bit of like from a, like an annihilist point of view <laughs> but like everything is super empty and meaningless like everything is empty and meaningless until we decide to give it meaning right and so when i realized i am not being i am not inquiring into what's going on for these people that i'm dating right i started asking questions like if i thought someone was annoyed at me or upset with me or I don't know I would just ask questions like how are you how like how is everything for you like I feel like there's a bit of hostility there am I am I just like misinterpreting something or right. like what's happening right now and in instead of just like you seem like you're pissed off like it's more like asking questions and no. it's made a difference I agree. I, you know, I have like a kind of simple little way of looking at that when it comes to trying to help look outside of oneself is I always try to tell all of us and remind myself, 
especially in the way we we choose to speak to each other right and again this isn't just romantic partners this is anybody is to we should try our best to just genuinely be curious about things mm. right because when you're curious you don't when we ask questions we're, go, we're going to be a bit more intentional about maybe softening our approach when we ask a question we're not going to be as sure of whatever we're saying because we're like i don't know that's why i'm asking right and more importantly we give the other person the opportunity to speak for themselves to clarify for themselves to make their own points so i won't go and i'll say this person looks like this so therefore they must be fill in the blank i can't make those conclusions because i don't know i don't know you i don't know you i don't know you let me take the opportunity to be curious and ask genuinely and pay attention and actively listen and reflect back to them to make sure we're on the same page about whatever it is that we're discussing. Mm. Right? Word. I like that. Yeah. Like it would be so much it would be so much easier. And I, I genuinely try to live that way. I will say, even though it is difficult, I think it makes it easier to not come off very harsh. You know? Yeah. And to, it's, to really, people. it's beautiful to experience people like that. Like when people, yeah. sometimes I have like a resting, can I swear? Yeah. Sometimes I have a super resting bitch face and it's not even like I'm moody. Sometimes I'm just like either tired or just thinking. Um, and so my face will be like straight. <laughs> and I think it's so lovely when people just ask, is everything okay? You know, like, has your day been good? Like you look, you look a bit sad. Is, has anything happened? Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, I'm just thinking right now, but that's so nice of you. Thank you. <laughs> like, <laughs> thanks for asking. That's so sweet. Like, honestly, like right. you didn't have to make any assumptions or, you know, just asking makes such a big difference. It does. It does. And I, and I, I'm glad we made this point because I think if we are able to utilize that really across the board, like in every way that we try to do things, I think we will find not only less judgment, more acceptance, more peace. Because people will allow other people to present the way that they want to, to be appreciated and valued the way that they want to. And it, it takes all the onus off of us to like try to always understand, uh, excuse me, not understand, to fill in the blanks of why people are the way that they are. No, let me ask Camila, what does she mean when she says these things? Why does she use the terms that she used? How does she choose to interpret the world around her? And what maybe contributed to why she interprets the world around her the way that she does, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm going to segue into my next question, talking about culture and how that shapes our perception. Because, again, I believe that our environment shapes our perception, which shapes our reality. Perception is reality for the vast majority of people. How do you think any part of your culture, however you want to define culture, that can be from your ethnic background, that can be from the geographic region that you grew up in, how do you think culture has shaped your perspective of in your life up until this point? It's, it's interesting because both my parents migrated from Colombia mm -hmm. to Russia. Okay. Lived in Russia for 10 years, thereabouts, and then moved to the UK. And so I would say that my parents aren't like your traditional folkloric sort of Colombian person mm -hmm. in terms of like they're not religious 
um, they're not super strict about things. Yeah. Like, mum's a doctor and my dad's like a politician slash teacher slash like human activist. <laughs> um, so they're, they're pretty open to having conversations that I, I, I want to say not, at least the Colombians that I've been around sure. are as willing yeah. to have. Okay. Um, so I've been very lucky in that sense. Beautiful. Um, and they've always given me such, such liberty to explore life. Um, I would say there is still some, there is aspects of culture in there though, and that maybe because they're not traditional and they are well-traveled, I'm sure like you're saying that has added to yes. your outlook. Yes, definitely. So because my, both my parents are quite well-traveled, um, they've, they have a level of education that's uh, allowed them to really thrive in different communities. Sure, sure. That's something that I was like able to grow up and see. Like, oh wow! Like he doesn't just stick with this one group. Like he goes, and she goes to other, these all these other different communities and has yeah. interactions with them. And that's been really profound in my life because I find myself doing that now. Mm. Like we we even the way we met is quite unconventional. And I sure. and I think like the typical person. Or like, uh, maybe like I don't, I don't want to say typical person, but some people would never, would never just have conversations with a random person and be like, let's do a podcast together. Like you know, no. like it's it's very very factual. Yeah, right. Like, but I think the fact that I also grew up in London town, which is super multicultural, like it's a melting pot. It's amazing. <laughs> I love London. Um, I I got to grow up with so many different type of people like people from different backgrounds different ethnicities speaking different languages practicing different religions it it allowed me to be exposed to all of these things and and question and and investigate um, and learn for myself what resonates what doesn't sure um so that was really really cool growing up as a a british colombian it's it's really different to the u.s like there's quite a large Latino population in the U.S. Very true. We we still have to tick like other in census oh, wow. census boxes because we're such a we're such a small population in the U.K. Like we are a growing population, but we're still really really small. Okay. Even like um, Black African and Black Caribbean is relatively small um, in the U.K. There's a large like brown Asian Indian uh, Pakistani Bangladeshi population. Okay. Um. So even that was a bit weird because what do you mean other? I'm not, I'm not other. Like that doesn't even make, what's other? It's interesting you say that too. Um, I'm sure there will be some listeners and viewers who have parents from two different ethnic backgrounds and come from two different parts of the world, myself included. But it's interesting you said other because that kind of takes me back to when I was a kid. Not that other, you know, multi-ethnic multi-racial children didn't exist but it, it, it just wasn't as common or as prominently displayed maybe but when you talked about that box you remind me of like when i had to do standardized tests and there there used to not be like a box where you could choose multi-ethnic but also they didn't like it when you checked more than one box so what? then you had to check other and I used to, that used to be a thing for me where I always check other than I would write in like multiracial, multiethnic, but <laughs> just cause I'm like, you know, I feel like that conceptualizes better, you know, who I am. Mm. But, um, 
it's interesting that you're telling me that, you know, especially for Americans, I think we're not, maybe not all as privy to how the population demographics are in the UK, that there's not as many Latinos, even though I do know that, like, I mean, Spain's probably the closest Latin country there as compared to America. You know, we have not only Mexico, but Central and South America that are all right, pretty close by. Yeah. Yeah. Like the Latin community is quite small but it's growing and it tends to be a very tight-knit community like we have um like pockets of latin communities around mm. london um and it's, it's actually really beautiful because we we have like festivals now you know like maybe okay we had we had like um a festival called carnaval del pueblo okay and that used to run and then it stopped maybe like i want to say like 10 years ago now mm. and it only started again this year um, so you can see like the Latin scene is growing it's sure. definitely definitely growing even when I hear Latin music being played in different countries like I was in PP Island not that long ago and they were playing reggaeton and I was like oh my god <laughs> <laughs> like this is my vibe like this is like I can't believe I'm in Southeast Asia and they're playing reggaeton like, this is so cool to me I love it yeah yeah because we really like I'm not that used to it in uh, London so much even though you have like your Latin hubs that are really pushing for the scene to come out, which is amazing. And we yeah. can see the the advancement in it. For sure. No, absolutely. I'm glad you said that too, because you made me think of like when I was when I want to say when I was growing up, but I would say like maybe my early twenties. Like I remember Daddy Yankee was like very big coming from Puerto Rico. So like I remember that was like a important breakthrough. We're seeing more of that and hearing more of that sound. But now you know you got like the J Balvins and the Bad Bunnies out there. So I mean, I think it's good to see, you know, that blending of culture. Even I would say in America, like, just the fact that, like, K-pop has gotten mm. fairly large. Like, I'm hearing people saying, like, oh, yeah, I love BTS and these other bands. And I'm like, I don't listen to it, but I respect the fact that, like, other people want to embrace that culture. Because Korea is very far from, <laughs> South Korea right. is very far from us. Yet, their music spans. And it's not like, as Americans, we don't know that our culture touches other parts of the world. So... I think it's cool when we're sharing, you know, more of that and feeling more of that, like we were talking about earlier, like feeling some of that camaraderie, um, you know, music, I think is one of those great mediums that can help bring more of us together and, and especially in appreciation, right? Like you're saying like, Hey, I'm in an Asian country and there's an reggaeton like, Oh, do they even understand the words? Maybe not. Maybe they just like the beat, but the fact is they have an appreciation and yeah, that's definitely. part of my culture. And, and I like that they are willing to embrace that. Mm. So. You know, something did come up for me um, with regards to like answering the question. Mm. One thing I did notice growing like growing up was that Latinas were really hypersexualized. Mm. I I noticed that from really in the UK. Early. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if it's the same in the US, but definitely like in London. Yeah, we're super hypersexualized, and I think I noticed that like 13, 14. Um, and so at first I like kind of played into it, you know, because uh, you, you well, I wanted to be part of like part of that, like the the cool Latinas. Yeah. Um, and then I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, like I got to a point where I was like, I don't I don't want to be associated with these certain attributes that you're just presuming all Latinas have. Like, even though I can I, I can I can dance. I love dancing, but not all Latinas can dance. And that's OK. Sure. And like, you shouldn't just make that assumption just because they're from somewhere. So what I ended up doing was like almost like dissociating myself with my mm. culture for a little bit. So, um, yeah, like I just 
wouldn't hang around with the latino community like i just wouldn't really want to go to the events just didn't want to be part of that and i i didn't like the conversation of when someone asks you where you're from yeah they would like i knew i was about to be treated differently if i was to say yeah i'm like indian or bengali i would be be treated differently than than if i'm to say i'm colombian and that's wild to me that's very interesting yeah that you pointed that out and there's a lot of ways to take that to take that particular topic but i do know that i've heard stories from searching from some women that i knew growing up that in america i know that black women were hypersexualized for a very long time you know some of it fall out from slavery but just the idea that you like the assumptions that people presume and cast onto other people that you know like all people behave this way or that they do this way i usually say this on this show that no people are a monolith at all now there's common lived experiences that we can share right like latinos can have certain lived experiences that we may have in common but it doesn't mean that they all manifest exactly the same because each culture within the country can you know can portray it a little differently just like language even though it's the same common like spanish language it still can be there's some variation depending on where you where you came from and how you learned it so i think it's important to understand that importance the way that may show up right there are going to be some unique differences i do think it's interesting when you have those specific minority populations that sometimes because it's it is more foreign to use that specific word that that can come with being i don't know if that's the exact word but kind of like exotified or to be to be presumed that way yeah because i know for some people like asians can be perceived that way because it may not be as common to like in america to Mm. be around them Right. And so you might you might put them in that box. The same way you're talking about Latinos might be looked at in the UK. But I do think at the same time, what to combat that, my hope is that with more people becoming more integrated with, you know, especially with the level of social media that we see as well, like it's not as foreign or as uncommon to hear that people have friends from other backgrounds, that people have relationships with other backgrounds, we procreate with each other from other backgrounds, that there creates more acceptance and hopefully that that particular feeling starts to die down a bit. But I do acknowledge though that there's still some countries that are like very, very concentrated. So there might, are like of the, of the majority. Okay. So it might be like, there's going to be some moments where it's like, hey, this is still going to kind of happen. And it's unfortunate, but I, I'm hopeful that it's not going to be as big of an issue as time progresses. Mm, that would be amazing. Yeah. But you taught me something because I didn't know that. I did not know that. Because, um, yes, coming from America, it's, it's definitely not. It, it, Latinos are actually the largest ethnic minority. Right. So I can imagine it being different because it's like you see a lot more Latinos. Whereas yes. in the in London, it's like oh my god you're colombian you're ecuadorian you're brazilian like that's so exotic right it's like oh get out of here man (laughs) stop it like what the hell no absolutely and uh, you know and this is and i'm appreciating the conversation this is the nuance right like i live i usually make this expression like some of us when we are trying to like understand something it's easy for us to fall into extremes Mm. the black and white thinking you are this or you are that and I always say for me, I'm like, because I, I learned this in, in school when I was learning to be a therapist, 
that life is gray. <laughs> life is gray, meaning it's a combination of the two. It is not everything is this or that or everything falls neatly into one or two categories. Everything requires context. Mm -hmm. Everything requires perspective. Everything requires nuance. So then we have to be patient, right? And ask those questions and be curious. Because then we understand things better, more accurately. Not just, this is how it appeared to me, so I'm just going to put this on you and then keep moving. Just like you said a moment ago, me being sexualized because I'm Latina in the UK. But what if I'm not? Mm -hmm. What if that's not the trope that I want to play into? just because I happen to be from this ethnic background and grow up in this country. Mm -hmm. is, do I have to? Is that fair to put that upon me? It's, 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 it's an interesting thought because um, that's literally what I did. Like I became so dissociated. Mm -hmm. But then there's so many aspects of like what a typical Latina is or does yeah. that I also do. And so I've, I've almost like suppressed myself mm -hmm. from like really embracing my culture, which is crazy because... My culture is awesome. Listen, because I can make a direct parallel. We, we did touch on this on the first time we tried to do this, but I think this is important to echo. This is the similar sentiment to me hearing you say that to how black people may feel when we don't have that connection to our homeland, so to speak. Yeah. Right? Because you, you know, our, our identity can be tied to, you know, growing up where we grow up, in our case, talking about in America, but then still not feeling necessarily wanted, but then not necessarily knowing that history and that lineage that you're directly connected to, right? Because of obviously what happened in the past. So I think it's interesting when you're thinking about culture and you're thinking about acceptance and thinking about values and judgments and assumptions, like all these important things that we're touching on, right? Is to try to like be patient and understanding with each other while we're all going through that journey, like going through that process of self-discovery. Who am I? What does that mean? How do I formulate that vision of who I am as an individual, how I wanna contribute to my society, the type of family I wanna build, the type of relationships I wanna have? It's all very nuanced and, and complicated. Sometimes we need help, in many cases, to learn how to formulate what that even means, you know? And so I think it's important to give each other and give ourselves that space like while we're going through that process, especially being in your age, right? You're 25. To me, this is like peak. I'm starting to dig into myself to figure out who I am. This is like, the, the the meat of that time to say I need to look in the mirror and really start to figure this out because maybe around the corner possibly is I want that family so I want to know what I'm going to bring into that family so I need to mm -hmm. figure that out first yeah right so I'm going to use that as a segue you were talking to it you were talking about this before but I want to kind of try to go back into that okay. so when we're talking about relationships you obviously being a woman talking about relationships with men do you think you could say this either maybe in your past with like past relationships or you can talk about in the present have you noticed any sig really significant challenges when it comes to communicating with a man or a male partner mm. uh, yeah for sure like I think my first ever relationship 
I didn't know how to communicate. Mm. Um, because I wasn't in a place, firstly, mentally, physically, to be in a healthy relationship, mm. communication was definitely impacted. Yeah. Um, and because we were so young, it, it just it like fizzled and erupted. Yeah. Um, and that had an impact on my life to the point where I didn't even really want to communicate like my genuine feelings for people. Um, and so my communication would always kind of be like in hidden messages, like encrypted. Uh, like I, I, I'm telling you something, but I'm not really telling you something, but I'm kind of hoping you're going to understand what I'm, right. what I'm getting at. Um, and it was mostly like coming from like a place of fear of like not wanting to be rejected or like this is too good to be true. Mm-hmm. Um, so because it was all coming from a place of fear, communication wasn't really there. It wasn't present. Right. Um, I feel like I'm finally in a place where I can like healthily communicate what it is that I want because I know what I want. Good. Before I didn't even know what I... I thought I knew what I wanted, but I, I wasn't even in a place to accept that from someone someone mm. because I wasn't even really giving that to myself. Good awareness. And furthermore, I hadn't really uh, been around what, like healthy relationships, so I couldn't really envision what that looked like. And the more I've been around like people who not only just like people in relationships but like healthy people like people who really know themselves who who are very loving very caring i've also been able to start been able to embrace that about myself like i think i'm naturally very affectionate when i care about people um and before i used to think like ill like i don't like i would never really hug people Mm. um i wasn't very affectionate but what I'm getting at is the more I've been able to accept that within myself, embrace it, nurture it, mm-hmm. the more willing I am to be that way with other people and the more willing I am to communicate how I feel and it just flows so much more easily. Like Because I'm clear about what it, what it is that I want, what I see for myself in the future, yeah, the sort of marriage I want to have, like how I would like to raise my kids. Like When I'm when I'm looking for someone to date, like some of the questions I'll be like, are you open to having therapy for yourself? And then mm, if we're in a relationship, question. like, are you open to us having couples re- uh, counseling, therapy? Beautiful question. Because for me, that's, I want to know that we're in this together. Like, because there's going to be moments where I don't know what the hell I'm doing. You don't know what the hell you're doing. We need like support. Sure. sure. So I find that the more I know what I want uh, for myself, for my future self, my future family, the more I can just ask. And if that person doesn't align with me, that's absolutely fine. Yes. We don't have to carry on, like we don't have to move on forward. But what it also does, it gives the opportunity, it creates a space where there's an opportunity where they can like question, like maybe I I can do that. I'm willing to do that, you know? I'm like, sweet, that's sick. I like that. Absolutely. I mean, I appreciate the the honesty there. I mean, I would only hope that we would seek out people that are willing to look not only look beyond themselves, but also understand that there's going to be moments of extreme challenge where 
I might not have the answer, you might not have the answer, and I'm okay with getting that outside perspective, getting that outside assistance. I am seeing that that is becoming more accepted, which is very exciting for me, not just because of my profession, but because I just want us to be more healthy together and hopefully seeking out you know, people like that. But when you're talking about like kind of going through that experience, like w one of the things you said that like really just stuck out to me, it's like you were seeking out things that you necessarily weren't maybe willing to give at that time, but also you weren't even providing to yourself mm. at that time. That to me is so profound because you're definitely not the only person that has done that before. And this is like this little, this little sort of mantra, I guess you could say, that I like to say to myself and to others is I always want to give and put out what I want to receive. Mm. So if I want love, I need to give it. If I want respect, I need to give it. I can't wait for other people to give it to me first and then hope that I, um, I'm going to then want to give it back to them because, well, you know, it's like a power thing, right? So once they give it to me, then I feel like I'm in a better position because maybe I don't want to offer it then. Maybe I'm like, no, I want you to give to me and I just want to take. Oh. Right? Yuck. I'm like, no, but, but doesn't it feel better if you say, you know what? I'm going to lead with respect. So I'm going to sit down here with you. I'm going to treat you like you're a human being, like I respect you as an individual. Because then it makes it easier for me to say, yes, and I, I desire that in return. I, you're good. <laughs> I'm like, I want that in return because, because I give it to you freely. Mm. Right? I find that that's a, it's, a, it's an easier way of being. It's an easier way to say, this is what I want. I desire great communication. So I'm going to try my best to always communicate well. Because then I can look at you and say, please communicate with me well. Like, I hope you see how much I try to understand, to be patient, to listen, to not interrupt, to truly understand, right? What do you think about that? I, I think it's, it's a beautiful way of being. And to encounter people who are also on, in that stage mm -hmm. is amazing. But one thing I've realized is I don't believe in, like, right people, wrong timing. They're like, that's not, the, that, that's not the right person for you. If it's... If it's, a, if it's meant to be your person or someone you share something with mm -hmm. it's going to be the right person and the right time and anything that doesn't fit into that well then it doesn't the question i ask myself does this work for me sure in my life and does this work for you in your life because one thing that i've noticed is it's so easy to try and create a relationship with someone based on relationships that we've already had so like we take like the learning and the inquiry just completely out of it. Mm -hmm. Like I only discovered this recently, but the way I give love is completely different to how I want to receive love. Mm, and, okay. and the person I've been dating is pretty much the same. Like they receive love and give love in different ways. Mm. And I never would have even guessed that unless we would have actually asked ourselves those questions, right. like ask each other those questions. And, it's really creating a space of like being inquisitive about each other and really coming from a space of like, is this actually going to work? Right. You know, like, do we want the same things or do, or are there things that not even compromise on, but like, are you willing to look at it from this perspective and see why sure. I would want to do that? And am I willing to do the same? Cause it's important. 
because I'm not I'm not out here dating for the sake of just being in a relationship. I'm dating for like family. Right. Like I'm like if I just the next person I say yes I want to be with you is because I genuinely see that this could be this is my partner sure. and we can have a family together because there's no way I'm going to be in a relationship with a man who I don't think would be a good role model for my kids for our children right I mean that's that's part of being intentional right intentional like, like I'm, I'm thinking about what do you bring to the table what, at this particular moment for what I'm looking for and same for me what do I bring to you and does that fit what you need mm. and hopefully we sync up in that way and we're no relationship is foolproof, right? All, all of them take work. But I'm hoping that I am decreasing the likelihood or the probability that we are going to end up in significant distress mm. because we have such a good starting point that we're launching off on. We have such good communication and we've made it a priority to say, I always want to communicate well with you. If we start dipping, let's make sure that we start figuring out what is going on so we address right. it immediately. Not we're going to go months and months and months and maybe years. Our communication is terrible and we're wondering why we're on the verge of divorce or why we're separated currently. Well, because those things have been happening. Maybe we lost sight of that. Maybe we sought out people who weren't giving us those things that we know that we truly needed. Mm. And that's contributed to why we are where we are today. Right. So your point, extremely valid. If we're going to date, if we're going to be with somebody, Let's be with people that we truly desire, not just because of how they appear, but thinking about what we want for the long term. For those of us that want children and want families, it's important to understand I have to be able to build a solid foundation with this person, not only because I need them to be well and I need to be well, because we are role models and examples to those young ones who are going to be watching us mm. the entire time we raise them. It's so pivotal that we we cannot understate and not fully appreciate how much children watch and they observe. And the more healthier we are as individuals, I'm going to make one little point on top of this. To me, there is a hierarchy of who's most important in our lives. Okay. This is the way I usually say it to pick to continue on this point let's say it's me as an individual i'm married and i have a child or I have children i always say because i believe this is true that we have to always be number one the individual so camila is her number one to herself always i am number one to myself always then because that's me as an individual. Then it gets to the relationship. So because I said in this scenario, I'm married. Then it is my marriage and my relationship with my wife. And then after that, it is my relationship and us as a family unit. Okay. And the reason why I believe that order is in that particular order is because the family cannot be well if the primary relationship foundation is not well. Mm. Meaning me and my spouse. The relationship between me and my spouse cannot be well if I am not well. So everything is predicated on, do I take good care of myself? When I need help, do I seek it out? Do I have good support systems around me? So when I'm in certain situations, I know where to go. 
But what I see that really screws us up at times is there's a, a too much of a focus on one aspect or another. Maybe I really embrace being a dad. So I kind of let me as a person fall to the wayside because I'm spending, so, I'm getting, trying to get so much fulfillment being a dad or being a husband. And I, and I forget to do the things that bring me joy just by myself as an individual. Mm-hmm. Same thing for the woman. You, you follow what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's important that we never lose sight of that because we are complex people. Right. We're not just women and men we're not just mothers and fathers we're not just husbands and wives you may be all of those together so you got to satisfy and fulfill all aspects of who you are otherwise it might be very difficult to stay in these relationships yeah for sure for sure i think i think you've touched on some really important points like making sure that you as an individual you're setting yourself up to to be the sort of partner you want to be for your partner and for your kids um, and then also what comes up for me out of this conversation is as as a significant other, mm-hmm. I think it's especially in like dating phases to not fall in love with potential. <laughs> that oh, just, that's that's huge. What you just that said. doesn't make sense because your idea of what potential this other person could reach. Mm hmm. If they don't see that for themselves, yeah. it's hard. You could push. You can even pull for their greatness. You could stick by them and 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 really have them fulfill on certain things. But yeah. that's draining. And also Incredibly. expectations, especially uncommunicated expectations of one another. Like, I think it's okay to have expectations of, of your partner. Sure. Because, you know, like... If if I come home, for example, um, I don't know. This is this is theoretical, but I could expect a meal, you know, yeah. from you Mondays to Wednesdays. That's a, a an expectation that we've communicated to each <laughs> other. So if you don't fulfill on that, then we need to talk. Like wh- sure. where 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 what's the this, breakdown? Yeah, where's the breakdown? Like where is the breakdown? But if it's like uncommunicated expectations, like that's where it can get a bit funny because yeah. I didn't know you wanted me to cook uh, Monday through to Wednesday, babe. Like my bad. Like that, that I can understand why you're pissed off. Shit. Yes. <laughs> and no, and, and even thinking about what you said, right? Like I love that you hit on expectations. Cause I think so much about disappointment and frustration. A lot of times it does boil down to the fact that we don't share that information with mm, each other. And sure. then we, we wonder why we, why we get pissed off. It's like, well, did you really make sure that he understood what you meant when you said, this is really important to me? Mm. Did, did he make sure that she understood that I really need this from you? Did we sit down and make sure we clearly communicated what we need from one another? Because if we don't, then we should not be surprised mm. that we're going to get frustrated and disappointed. Because we didn't make sure that we mutually agreed that this is something that we need to create and then maintain. So sometimes I think we set ourselves up for failure because it's kind of like if you were trying to build a house, it's like you got a shaky foundation. You know, you're like right. you're building this out of sand instead of concrete. Like, why would you do that? Mm. That's not going to give the best results. It might work for a little while, but that's not really what you want. You want it to be solid. And more importantly, everybody wants to be understood. Let's not get it twisted. Yeah, for everybody sure. wants to be understood. But sometimes we don't take the time 
to make sure we're being understood. Like that we give that to each other, mm. right? I got to sit here just like we've been doing. I got to listen to you. I got to ask follow-up questions. You have to ask me follow-up questions. I got to make sure we maybe reflect back to each other, right? That we understand. That takes time. That mm. takes energy. Literally. I have to be thoughtful to do that, right? Yeah. But I think if we take that sort of approach, like overall, we're vastly increasing the likelihood that we can stay together. Probably for the test of time until we're no longer here. Yeah. And, and this brings me back to just seeking counsel, seeking therapy in general. Because if you're in a place where you're like, you're, you're, you're fulfilled, like, as a as a woman i am fulfilled in what i in what i do in life um and i know that i'm ready for a relationship but let's say a year ago there's just no way like i i thought i was ready for a relationship for dating but not really and it just it translated so much in my dating life like looking back it was so obvious that i wasn't ready but i wasn't willing to to accept that fair and it and it took seeking counsel to be like oh yeah I, I really have like these expectations of people um and, I, and i'm i'm i wasn't okay with like letting go mm-hmm. of situations because i i thought it could work out for the best you know that kind of speaks back to what you're talking about with the potential right yeah definitely like instead of seeing that kind of what's in front of us not that potential doesn't matter but what are you seeing now? Like maybe that potential could be manifested and created eventually, but is this person like walking a path to like actually, actually realize or what we would say actualize Mm. that potential? Or are you just looking at it and saying, I'm really hoping for the best here. Maybe if I put the right conditions around them, maybe they'll get there. But the signs aren't showing that this person is actually working on that at this moment. Mm. You know, so we have to be very, (laughs) very conscious of, this is what I'm dealing with. Is this really what I want to be dealing with for the long term? Yes or no? And if the answer is not truly yes, then don't waste your time because you're probably going to get really frustrated and it's, it, the situation might devolve a lot more than you probably had planned for. Yeah. And, so. it, and it's not always easy to be like, yeah, maybe this isn't the person for me because like, I don't know, I can't speak for other people, but for myself, it's always like, I have such high hopes. Like I always sure. see the potential in people, Sure. but it's, the, the art of being unattached to outcomes is powerful. Mm-hmm. It's so powerful because I can really like someone. Like I could think they're amazing. And as soon as maybe there's like one or two things that we definitely don't align with, mm-hmm. I got to keep it stepping, my brother. Hey, got to keep it stepping. That's facts. That's facts. I mean, I hope because, you know, we try to talk about this a lot on the platform, especially when it comes to relationships and families that I hope that people who are listening and watching may understand as individuals man we're so so inherently complicated and because we are then inherently relationships will be Hmm. right that's just just trying to be logical from that standpoint yeah for sure so that means that the best thing that I can do if I want to be ready for these relationships is let me make sure to Camila's point that I'm doing my work in between that i don't have to be dating to try to be the best version of myself i can still be getting myself mentally and emotionally and physically prepared for the life that i want right so that way when it does present maybe i'm ready to embrace that opportunity because i can see it Mm. right because i'm i'm more ready for it 
I see a walking bear, I'm going to jump on it right now. Yeah. But if I'm in my own head, if I got all this stuff going on that I don't address, the, the opportunities are around me, but it's almost as if they're invisible to me. Because mm. I got so many other things on my mind, so much on my heart, like I just can't even fixate on it. So the purpose of having these discussions is to recognize if you see that you're struggling in these areas, if you understand that and I've had past relationships or I struggle with communicating with my children or I get a lot of feedback that I'm not very open with how I'm feeling, that might be the sign to say, I need to get some help. I need to consider a different viewpoint. Maybe if I'm not seeing that I'm feeling happy and the people around me that I value are feeling particularly happy, then maybe I need to try to do something different about it. Hmm. Anything else you want to add to that? Yeah, um, I would say if you're feeling extra brave, extra courageous and extra open to taking on any sort of personal development, I would highly recommend you ask maybe five people that you really love and trust and ask them, let them know that, that you you're asking them these questions because you really want to take yourself on you want to discover something new and that you won't hold it against them Mm. you cannot hold it against them guys like you have to ask from a place of genuine inquiry okay um and really create the space for them to be honest with you because it can be hard Mm -hmm. and then ask them what do you feel are my strengths what do you feel are my weaknesses how do you think people see me? Ask them those three questions. Let them let have be inquisitive about what comes up. And sometimes you'll see, like it doesn't mean you have to take anything on. Sure. Like sure. just because someone says, "Oh, your weakness is X and Y," it, like you can be like, "Oh, I already knew that. That's fine." Like you don't have to do anything about it. But it's right. good to see because sometimes, sometimes it's hard to observe things about ourselves. Yes. Because they're complete blind spots. It's like when you're driving, there's always a point in the car where you cannot see anything and you need someone to help you like navigate so that yeah. you don't crash and kill somebody. So that's what I would suggest. Good. And play with that. I love that. No, I love that. And yeah, having that awareness is very, very important. And being understanding that, yes, to your last point, there are going to be things that I'm, I may not be able to observe about myself because I am myself going back to the implicit bias because mm. sometimes we don't know how we come off to other people unless right. you want to be brave enough and ask yeah. how do you, here's another question i would add to the mix how do you experience me oh i love that one if i'm going to if i and this isn't like just if i'm going on a date it could be like again just trying to build a friendship mm. what's it like to communicate with me to spend time with me to learn more about me is it easy? Do I make it difficult? Am I an open book? Am I quite guarded? I think it's good to get that feedback. Again, like you said, start with people that you that you trust, that you feel that are going to be honest with that feedback, but not try to be overly punitive or critical of you, but generally mm-hmm. constructive feedback that you can try to do something with, right? I think that that can always be helpful. And just be willing to me is like starting that process. I always talk about journaling because I'm a very big advocate of that when it comes to therapy because it gives you the space to reflect. So even if you're just listening to this or watching this and you're like, you know, I don't know if I have all those particular issues. Some stuff came up when Camila made this point or when I made this point. 
but I'm not really sure if I have all these particular issues, but I am going to start to give myself the space to try to capture more of what I'm experiencing in my days. Mm. And then maybe, maybe I might see a pattern. Right. A pattern of how I think or a pattern of how I behave, maybe a combination of the two. I think that's like a helpful starting point. When If you don't have somebody there to work with or if you're not necessarily ready to start working with somebody like you brought up earlier, we got to start somewhere, though. Yeah. So hopefully that, that, that helps anybody out there to begin the process. And the second most important part is having these conversations and being willing to engage which you have so i want to very much say thank you for all the vulnerability that you provided because to me it's so important for us to visualize and see this going back and using your words it is hard to envision things that you don't see that are not around you if i don't have if i don't see men and women communicate when i'm growing up it's very difficult then for me to know how to do that in my relationship I don't even know how to approach it Mm. right or you might not even know that that's a thing right it could be completely a blind spot could be completely oblivious to it so I'm hoping that you see this and you're like you know what maybe this is a healthier way of me engaging because I heard her say some good points I heard him say a point and it resonated with me beautiful let's use that as a starting point so I appreciate you for being here. I'm glad that we had the spontaneousness of coming together and having this beautiful discussion, even with all the technical difficulties (laughs) that we have had. And I hope that anybody that's gotten value from this would consider subscribing and following all of this good content that I am trying to make because at the end of the day, this is about trying to help us lead better lives. Mm. And, you know, with the work that I do, I know how impactful it can be when people are ready to do the work. But I'm hoping that this can be that maybe gentle push in the right direction, right? Because you choose to be here. You're choosing to watch this. You're choosing to listen to this. So I hope that if that's the case, that that gives you that subtle more push and and encouragement to start making that change for the better. And until next time, we're going to sign off. And I hope that everybody has a lovely day.